Hey, thanks for checking out the Good Advice Podcast, and this is round two. So we sit down with not just my favorite guests, but your favorite guests, some of the best guests who've come on the podcast, returning for another session. And today's guest is with Stephanie Medford, the CEO of Ronald McDonald House Charities of Arcoma. It's one of our local nonprofits and certainly is a national brand. Stephanie has a phenomenal perspective on leadership and management and frankly, just business. She's one of my all-time favorite people, and that's why you're going to love today's episode. Hey, stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast, and this is round two. This is the time where we sit down with not just my favorite guests, but your favorite guests, and we talk about what's going on with them, what's new with them, and more importantly, what new insights do they have for you in your business. Today, we're sitting down with Stephanie Medford, who's the CEO and president of Ronald McDonald House Charities of Arcoma. She's actually the person who was the very first guest on the podcast like two or three years ago. It's pretty wild to think about. She's back today, one of my all-time favorite people, and we'll be talking about really some of the latest stuff with her, but more importantly, culture, management, the whole shebang. We'll get it all here today. Stephanie... It's great to have you here today. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited. It's always kind of funny, like doing an intro in the same room as someone because you're like, <laughs> "Don't look at me! Don't look at me!" Yeah, you know? <laughs> is it awkward? Or do we do we make eye contact? Yeah. Do we? Yeah. So we're in Stephanie's office, um, their their main office here in Springdale, Arkansas. Um, Stephanie, it's been a really busy last few months for you. Yes. Um, and I don't know how, for the people who are listening, I don't know how involved they are with, with Ronald McDonald mm-hmm. House Charities. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely one of my all-time favorite nonprofits. You're one of my all-time favorite people. Um, Likewise. Tell me a little bit about some of the great stuff that's happening just locally, mm-hmm. uh, especially in this last 30 days. You guys have had some pretty yes. big stuff happen. Yeah. So we opened the second standalone Ronald McDonald House in the state of Arkansas. So the third house, we have a smaller house inside a hospital in Fayetteville, Arkansas. But um, down in Fort Smith area, we have operated a Ronald McDonald family room, which is, again, kind of like a small house, a little bit different concept um, inside of a hospital. And then, um, with the last three years with the, the growth that we've had in the community there, the hospital there, and then also, um, just as an organization, we determined that it was time to build a new Ronald McDonald house. So we launched a $3.5 million capital campaign and started a major construction project <laughs> about three months before COVID hit. No big deal. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, right, right. On top of so many other things, you know, we sure. had an employee that um, was out on maternity leave and it ended up being an extended ater- maternity leave because of COVID. And she was our key fundraising or is our key fundraising person. And, you know, just all those kinds of things that get thrown in there that you can't really foresee or you can kind of plan for some of those things to a degree. But Um, definitely one of our core values is flexibility. And I think that will forever be one of our core values. Um, after we went through all of that, I think it was a a key learning for our team that flexibility is king for Mm -hmm. everything forever. Mm -hmm. And I think it helped us roll with the punches better. But anyway, Mm we, um, are almost done with the capital campaign. We have less than 300,000 of 3.5 to raise, um, again, through COVID. So I'm very impressed and proud of my team and, the volunteers and everybody who worked hard to raise those funds while also raising, you know, needed operational funding and keeping all of our other programs running. But the house opened. Um, it's beautiful and wonderful. It's all decorated for Christmas, Christmas lights, even on the outside, which was so gracious of a donor to do and and really brought that homey feeling, which we try to achieve for families with a child in the hospital. So it's been really exciting and we are all really happy for a little bit of a slower month. <laughs> finally a break. Finally, finally <laughs> months and months later. So, yeah. yeah. So with all the cool, amazing stuff that's happening with Ronald McDonald house, um, whenever you like you step back and you look at like everything that's happening mm-hmm. and you think about like the momentum, especially like, uh, I've seen some of the pictures on social media of mm-hmm. the Fort Smith house it looks yeah. amazing. And it looks like a lot Thank of people you. were involved in oh being gosh. part of this, you know, you as the boss, as the main person mm-hmm. who's you know, facilitating relationships, making these kinds of things happen. Um, are you at the point now where a lot of this is sort of like natural momentum or do you have to, you know, sort of re, um, 
I think about like wheel of fortune, like the spinning wheel, yeah. like, do you yeah. have to like sometimes reach in and like re like refresh it or? Yes, I think you do because what, just like in a, you know, we're a nonprofit business, but we're a business. And yeah. so just like a for-profit business, your customers, in our case, we would call those donors or constituents. Mm-hmm. There are other things that they support and that they have a passion for, whether it be with their dollars or their time as volunteers. And volunteers mm-hmm. are crucial for us because it saves us dollars, right? Right. Um, as well as in-kind partners, you know, we get um, three to four hundred thousand dollars a year in in-kind donations, mostly like food, cleaning products, anything that you need at your household. Well, um, with supply chain issues, with, you know, just lots of different things going on, a lot of that became a lot harder to come by than it had been in the past, as well as, you know, we weren't even able to have volunteers for a certain period of time. So making sure that we were continuing to engage people and find ways that people wanted to be engaged engaged with um, was really crucial for that momentum. And I would say the momentum has continued, but I think a lot of that's due to our mission and it's a, a mission that's important. And in my opinion, it's not a nice thing to have a Ronald McDonald house. It's a necessity. Hmm. And so I think keeping that, um, you know, kind of knowing who else feels that way, like who are your true tried and true donors, your tried and true volunteers, your tried and true share a meal, which is our meal program hmm. to provide food for families. Who are those people and what do they want? So we just launched our next three-year strategic plan. Our board just approved that recently. So it starts January 1. And a huge piece of that is doing a lot of donor stewarding, um, re-looking at our donor stewardship, right? So looking at your customer engagement maybe from Mm. if you were a business, maybe that's the terminology that we would use. Because I think not only did COVID impact everyone for so many reasons, but it also, I think, changed the way people want you to treat them as a donor, the ways that they want to engage with you. So again, talking about customers too, same thing. And I think that one of the things with being flexible and adaptable is what will truly make you come out on top or not. Because Mm -hmm. we learned people don't really want to maybe go to a big 500 or 1,000 person gala anymore. They they kind of enjoyed through COVID that we weren't able to do that. <laughs> so how else do we sure. retain their dollars and do we retain their engagement without maybe having a big, huge, crazy event? Now, mm-hmm. not that we're getting rid of our events, but we did learn that we had a lot of donors who were very generous and wanted to continue to give, but we're like, I kind of like staying home though. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> how can I continue to do that and do it yeah. from home? What's the so. Netflix of donor events? <laughs> yes, hundred percent. That's actually awesome That's really and brilliant. You should share well, that more. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it's interesting listening to you talk about donor stewardship, which it's, and I love how you tied it back to, um, and for those of you who are listening also, I, I want to be really clear that the reason that I, I don't really talk about Stephanie or Ronald McDonald house charities explicitly as a nonprofit, this is more specifically for you, Stephanie. Mm -hmm. The reason I don't is, and I do, I do in other places I do, I say, Hey, Mm -hmm. this is a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. This is what it looks like. This is how it's different. Um, you've sort of curated this, this business acumen, like this, um, this really incredible strategic view of, of your organization. And in, in, in a way it's made your organization run like a well-oiled machine more Mm -hmm. than, a typical business might mm-hmm. even, I mean, I, I, you know, the amount of data that you're using, the amount of intentionality when it comes to your, um, people you're serving and your donors. I mean, it's, this isn't like, just like a, um, you know, rip it out, you know, top of the hat, you know, yeah. like, what do we have? What are we going to do? Yeah. And so the reason I bring this up for our listeners is for our listeners to be really careful and not, um, dismissing is not the right word, but just being like, Oh, that's a nonprofit that doesn't apply to me. Right. Um, cause we have people who listen who they're in the nonprofit world, but you know, this whole concept of like customer engagement, donor stewardship, yeah, same thing. It, it feels like a lot of times what happens in business is like we go from customer to customer to customer. So it's like, okay, I got that customer. Great. Yep. Um, and they're at least happy enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I go mm-hmm. on to the next one and I go on to the next one and it's very much this numbers game. And it yep. makes sense. Cause like we're all trying to pay bills and yeah, it's fine. You gotta make money. Uh-huh. But this, this concept that you're talking about of like almost like hitting the pause button and like really drilling in on yes. what does that customer want? What yes. do they care about? This seems really obvious, and yet not a lot of people are doing it. Well, I think part of the reason is short-term versus long-term payoff. And that has been a big thing that has emerged for me and our organization and many board discussions even um, about in the short term, I think COVID impacted everyone 
from a financial standpoint. And it also kind of showed you where maybe some of your weaknesses are. So I think it's really easy to go, ooh, there's not a lot of short-term game out of some of these exercises or activities or policies and procedures or processes or, you know, for us, we would call it um, our development plan. And we totally revamped our development plan as part of that next strategic plan. Well, that would be the same thing for you maybe as your revenue plan. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, how are we going to generate income over the next one to three years? Yeah. But you have to look long-term. And that's something that I've really had to talk about a lot with our team is financially short-term we've definitely got some things to overcome because revenue's down from not being able to have in-person events. Revenue's down by having to maybe pay more staff versus utilize more volunteers. You know, different right. reasons that revenue was impacted the last 20 months or 22 months now, wherever we are now, I can't even keep up. But anyway, and then also while you're in a big capital campaign, so maybe same thing with a, uh, with a for-profit, you know, you're, you're building some new office building or some new customer service department that you're, you know... Um, putting together for long-term payoff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key is it's scary to think about, okay, we just got to bide our time. We're building the future. But sometimes when you're building the future, there's not going to be a whole lot of huge gains and wins. Sure. And you have to be okay with that. And I think that you have to exercise a lot of patience. And I think you have to really, really have a good plan and work the plan, get the right people that can work the plan. Um, and then for us, having a board of directors that has been very respectful, encouraging, and supportive of, I, I want to say, sort of my vision, again, with their support and blessing and everything else, of course, approvals. Um, but I think everyone's okay to say we're in this for the long haul. This is a long-term um, you know, kind of plan that we're working towards. And so the next three years, we really want to take a big look at um, – you know, what are the long-term big revenue streams so that we can set ourselves up for success for years and years and years and years to come Mm -hmm. to carry out our mission, which was, you know, our whole reason for existing. Right. So does it, does it feel like people, um, like this ability to see long-term think mm -hmm, long-term mm -hmm. strategize beyond like 30 days from now, but like actually, I mean like three years can be an eternity, especially what we just saw happen in, a few months. Yeah. So yeah. like in a moment, things can really shift and change. Yeah. Is this something that, I mean, do you feel like leaders today can, can develop this, like train it, mm-hmm. or is it more something that some people just have versus, you know, that person just can't, can't see long-term. I think it can be both because I have seen people on my own team who have been here now for a long enough period of time that I think it's I think it's about buying into it maybe a little bit and then being able to have some trust in a process. Mm-hmm. So I think it's almost exercising that muscle of being patient, slowing down and coming up with a plan and then kind of taking it like sometimes I'm down to day by day. Like yesterday I was like, "Oh, we only have $299,000 to left in the, left to raise in this capital campaign's done." Today I'm like, Oh gosh. Okay. You know, but you have to go back. So I go back to the plan, which is like basically a prospect list and we need these many people at Mm -hmm. these dollar amounts, you know, just like you would like, Mm -hmm. I need this many new, um, clients at this dollar amount over this period of time, whatever, same thing. So I go back to the plan. I go back to the strategy and I'm like, Oh, okay. Okay. We're good. We got it. So I think part of the way that you can kind of train that muscle or you can teach yourself if you're not naturally kind of a visionary patient, kind of a long-term thinker, I think you can, to a degree, train yourself to be, or at least be more comfortable sitting with that Mm. if you have a good plan that you can go back to. And if you have enough flexibility to say, okay, I mean, we've revised our capital campaign plan, for example. We launched it, like I said, December 2019. And now, so now it's almost, you know, about two years in. Um, And we have revamped that, I don't know, maybe three to four times to Mm -hmm. say, okay, we got to change direction Mm -hmm. or okay, that, you know, large grant that we were kind of counting on didn't come through. So now where will we make up that revenue, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, that investor or that advertiser that I thought I was going to get ended up deciding to do something else. So now I got to figure out, we're going to make that up. Mm -hmm. So you have to be okay with that. You have to sit with it. I think you have to be enough on top of your plan that you know the plan to go back and go, yeah, okay, that wasn't going to work. And, and I think <laughs> what I see a lot of nonprofits do is they create the plan, they get excited, maybe they hire a consultant or a you know someone to help them create it, 
And then they never look at it again or never think about it again. Right, it goes on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. So not only could that cause bigger issues like mission creep and whatever, but even just your day-to-day priorities, when you start getting really like bogged down, like, oh my gosh, we're never going to accomplish this goal or we're never going to get this project finished or whatever, not going back and revisiting that plan, I think is a huge mistake that a Mm -hmm. lot of people make. Because you, you kind of forget, like, oh, yeah, we did make a plan. And, you know, it was a pretty good plan, you know? Yeah, and it's almost like, um, you know, we get so wound up or excited around, um, you know, I'm doing, like, my business plan or, like, you know, what's mm-hmm. my goals for 2022? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, shiny object syndrome. It's like, oh, yes. yeah, and I want to do that. And, yes. oh, yeah, of course I got to do that. And, you know, so now your plan has, like, 50 elements to it, which no one's going to have the, the energy or time yes. to deal with. Um, but you make a good point that a lot of times it does just go on a shelf mm-hmm. and it's not like an active, le- uh, excuse me, an active breathing element mm-hmm. of your business. Yeah. Uh, Cause we did just go through COVID, which was a massive, nobody um, could plan for that. Exactly. Right. And so like the need to pivot and be agile, um, which I'm curious for you guys, you know, you're, you're, you know, nonprofits by definition, um, have a multitude of volunteers who help, mm-hmm. help the business operate, you know, going through COVID, one of the things that I saw were businesses that not only did they need to pivot or need yeah. to be agile, were unwilling to. So like a really great example of this would be like a business that does only in-person um, services with someone and now they can't do that. And so yeah. it's like, okay, what's the next answer? And uh, one business, for example, was like, well, we, we can't change what we do. That's literally what we do. So we're just going to kind of hold out and wait for this thing to blow over. Well, you know, you made the joke. We're like, 22 months or I don't know. Yeah. yeah we're almost yeah. at two years of this thing. That business is long dead. That's right. I mean, they, they made it maybe six months, ran out of cash and they're, yep. they're done. Yep. And so, um, and that's not to, um, yeah. you know, you know, I, I feel bad for them. Sure. I'm not be, trying to be condescending, but it's like, it's like, it feels like there is this natural constant pressure to, I need to be agile. I need to mm-hmm. revise the plan. I need to look at it again. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't know if you have an insight on this, just, it seems like not only do some, sometimes people shelve it, but other times like the plan isn't working, but that's the plan we decided. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to stick to it even though it's not really working, I guess. And you know what? That might be a culture issue. Yeah. And it might be a values issue. So if you have, you know, if like for us, I really go back to, we do it actually all the time. Like it's an inside joke in our office about thank God flexibility is one of our, you know, core Mm. values. And we determined that before COVID ever happened. Mm. And so we were like, because what happens is when you have those values, it becomes part of your culture and Mm. vice versa. You know, it it really goes hand in hand to me. But anyway, um, so I think that part of our culture at Ronald McDonald House Charities of Arcoma is very much based on you may walk in and your whole day gets derailed because you had a, an issue with a family and the police were called at 2 a.m. for a, a domestic issue. Or maybe later on in the day, you just found out that a family that's been staying with you for 60 days lost their child and now everybody's in shambles. And then the next day, you may have a donor call and say, you know, what the, what's up with this? What's going on? Or yeah. you sent me a thank you letter and it had someone else's name on it. Oh. Or you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, things sure. just like in your business, you know, yep. things happen that you don't plan for on a day to day basis. Mm. And all of those things to me are a big deal and mm. they should be treated that way. So our culture is very much, you have to walk in with a plan knowing that entire plan might get derailed. I mean, mm-hmm. and you know this story because I told you before we started recording, but just yesterday I had was driving down the interstate and had a rock completely shatter out a back window and it's 38 degrees outside and I'm going <laughs> 78 miles an hour right. down the road. So now I'm in a wind tunnel in my car. So I had to spend half my morning the next day with meetings all already scheduled and jammed in going to get my window fixed. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's just common sense that you have to be flexible, even though you have a plan. And I think the other part of it is that sometimes people are afraid other, maybe they're flexible and patient, but they're afraid other people won't be. Sure. So it's like, well, no, we can't do that because our customers are all gonna, you know, and it's like, okay, well train them, make that part of your culture even extended, right? That we're flexible with you. And we ask that you be flexible back with us too. Mm-hmm. And I think if you didn't learn that in COVID, might be some good podcasts to listen to because I feel like if it taught the world, nothing, it Mm. was grace and flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting hearing you talk about your y'all's values for two reasons. One, 
Um, I think it's great that you guys have values that isn't just adopted from like your national brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think a lot of people kind of fall into that mm-hmm. trap. And then two, I remember before you guys had values. I remember yeah. you guys creating your values. Yeah. And so you for me, it's really cool just hearing you talk about something like so um, such a natural element of how yes. you do business, knowing you guys prior to that. Yeah. Um, and you guys were in shambles. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> you guys we were, great. were wrecked. No. <laughs> no, y'all are great. But it, it does make me think about, you know, you have this you have this value of flexibility. It's it's a integral part of how you do business on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're 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 you know, I hope to God on the tail end of COVID, who knows, mm-hmm. but you guys separate from just the, the value of flexibility. You've also been someone you personally, you have put a lot of attention to culture mm-hmm. and I say a lot of attention. I mean, um, like my impression of you is that it's a daily conversation. Literally. I mean that it comes up as yeah. like a key strategy point Honestly, every week. It's true. And it, what I have seen during COVID is businesses now that are like, Hey, our empl- we have a very toxic work environment. Yes. Like what's the overnight plan to create yep. culture yep. or like, we need a great culture. Like, can we do it in two weeks? Yep. And I know for you, this has been a journey for three, four years. I mean, a long time. Yeah. Can you share a little bit Maybe more longer. about like mm-hmm. the, cause it, I think for you, it's, it's sometimes people see, you know, your leadership and your team and it's great and it's fun and you guys are accomplishing so much and they don't see the the journey mm-hmm. that you've been through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you can share a little bit more about like the, the grueling uh, yeah. process of just, well, there's a, few, a lot of things that come to mind and that, that, that could be like a whole nother podcast, but I'll, I'll <laughs> Round tell three. you, yeah, right where it's already in the book. Yeah. See? Um, so I would say one of the biggest parts, and you and I have talked about this previously too, that people make your culture. And culture make your people. I think you could kind of look at it, you know, to me or time out. But I think having the right people and giving the people the resources that they need, which includes everything from the actual like computer that they need or the flexibility to work from home. You know, we had an employee, for example, when we were doing more working from home on a regular basis, who just where she lives out in the country can't get great internet. So we were like, okay, well, we'll get you the Wi-Fi hotspot that we use for events and things, we'll kick it up and you can take the Wi-Fi hotspot home when you need to use it, you know? So again, it's the, like the actual tools and resources that they need, but it's also the resources that they need to be able to adhere to and understand your culture, to be able to buy in with what the goals are and what you're trying to do. So we didn't just go, Hey, we're going to make this strategic plan. We're going to set these core values. We're going to print them out nice and pretty and pretty and frame them and put them on a wall. And how many businesses have you walked in where you see that and then right. and then you have a bad experience or you right. your friend does or something and you're like sitting here going, God, so disappointing. You did the work to create this mm-hmm. the values and the mission statement and the vision statement, print it up on your wall and, and do all of that, but it's obviously not being practiced or executed. And I think that comes down to the people from the top to the bottom, everybody. And I think it's giving them the tools and the resources to be able to engage and buy in and develop and be a part of the culture and the values. Um, And if you don't, you know, like I said, in addition to just the tools and resources to do their job, it's the tools and the resources to be able to buy into the culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, a lot of businesses and nonprofits that their worlds were rocked by COVID. So say, for example, that everybody was in a big office together and now Mm -hmm. they're not. That's hard. And how do you figure out how to keep a culture of good communication or, you know, just getting to know each other and building trust by seeing each other every day and going through experiences together? Um, I think that that's hard. So I think a big key for us was having the right people. And, you know, part of having the right people, and you and I've talked about this, so I'm just going to say it, but it's being able to let people go. And it's being able to, on the front end, when you're hiring people, like, for example, um, right now we're having a really hard time hiring just like everyone else. And we've never, ever, ever, ever had a hard time hiring, by the way. Um, <laughs> but we're having a hard time with it. But what's funny is our team has gotten lots of resumes. They've interviewed lots of people. Um, some days, you know, they're like, well, we're just not getting a lot of people apply. And then the next day they're like, well, I had 10 interviews yesterday and hire anybody. Yeah. Because even though we're having trouble hiring, we're flexible enough that we figured out how to operate our organization without mm. some of those frontline team members that we really need, but we won't settle. 
So we're waiting until we find the right people because even when we're desperate for them, we know how important the right people are to the right culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a friend of mine was joking about how she made a bet. She's like a leadership person, but they had two positions open in one of her customers' business and she made a bet with the CEO on basically waiting versus hiring the first available. Yeah. And the CEO was like, we just got to get someone in this seat. Yeah. We got to fill the seat. Warm body. And she was yeah. like, well, no, let's be a bit more. Yeah. And uh, so their bet is she's taking one of the positions to hire for, and he's taking the other one. Smart. And they're going to see how it pans yeah. out. Yeah. But, well, that's a um, good idea. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's, it's interesting because you're right. It's like we're all going through this really um, sort of panicked time of, mm-hmm. you know, finding good workers, finding the right people. Yeah. You know, there's some real momentum around the Great Resignation, yes. and I mean, I, I just personally, I have so much content that just keeps getting created around this. Wow, and it it does make people wonder, um, you know, how do I find that great employee mm-hmm. and yet still be um, um, quick about it? I guess, yeah. like the balance of that. Yeah, you know, in the sense of obviously, great employees, they they have plenty of offers, they're finding their home, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, going back to something you mentioned a second ago, you know, rethinking how business is done. Like, for example, if like culture has always happened yeah. in the office yeah. and now people can't be in the office, yes. it feels like sometimes people are um, hesitant. I mean, going back to the concept of agility, sure. you know, there's all sorts of technology out there of, you know, Zoom, Slack, whatever. <laughs> but business owners who are unwilling to see, I guess, to re-envision their business another yes. way. Where it's like, okay, no one's in the office. I guess we just mm-hmm. want to have culture happen. Mm-hmm. But instead, thinking of it, thinking of it as, um, uh, you know, how do we now? Now, how do we do it? Yeah. As opposed to it just can't happen. Yeah. So that's right. Um, for you guys, I mean, what are some of the other ways you've had to pivot mm-hmm. in terms of? Um, I mean, are things back to normal now for you guys, or is it still kind of? Um, I would say no, mostly because of just we're not fully staffed, and it's this is the longest we've ever not been fully staffed. And now we're trying to staff a new 11-bedroom Ronald McDonald house. Right. And we staff 24-7, 365. Right. And I don't know how many overnight staff you've ever tried to hire. (laughs) That is a hard position to hire for. Sure. Um, And then also, I mean, to be totally transparent, one of the things that we're seeing is, so minimum wage is still what it is. Yeah. But minimum wage, in quotes, what it has become, because people are having such a hard time hiring new employees, everyone's raising, you know, there's a local hospital. Well, it's not local. There's a big hospital that recently said, um, none of our employees, no matter what level will make less than $15 an hour. Okay. Well, I can't compete with that. We're still above minimum wage Mm -hmm. and we have budgeted for, you know, it's, it's not that far off from that, but it's enough far off from that. Um, local restaurants, you know, um, Mm -hmm. quick food service restaurants and things, their minimum is $13, $14 an hour, Mm -hmm. which is well above minimum wage. And I'm not saying I have any issues with paying people. I mean, I wish we could pay everybody who works here a million dollars a year, but I can't because I don't have that much money. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like they deserve it. I feel Mm -hmm. like they work that hard. I feel like the service that we provide is worth that. Mm -hmm. But it's also reality of you don't have a million dollars to pay everybody a year, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I think that one of the challenges that we're still having is how do we compete with that? Well, the way we compete with that, and this is how our team feels strongly, and that's why it takes the right people, is with our culture. We're flexible. You can work here and take care of your family, but also be a part of your family. Mm -hmm. We're not, you know, on your time away, we're not bugging you. If you need time off to take your child to the doctor, by all means, take your child to the doctor. Mm -hmm. If you need time off because, you know, you've got to move into your new apartment tomorrow. And if you don't go by and get that check dropped off and get those keys today, and they just called you an hour ago to tell you that, but you're going to lose your apartment if you don't please go take care of your apartment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So again, having flexibility to go, (laughs) this is life. Mm -hmm. And for us, like I said, we operate 24 seven, 365 with live awake staff at our programs. So we also realize we're always working. So do what you need to do, right? Take care of your life and your family. And and Mm -hmm. family is also obviously, um, one of our, you know, core values. And so we feel like for us to be able to live that value out with the people we serve, we have to t- let our employees take care of their own families first. 
Right. And I think that is one of the number one key defining factors in our organization, because if you work here, you know that you can still take care of your family, you know, financially, but also take care of your family from the flexibility of being able to take care of your family. Mm -hmm. You're running late because maybe your kid just had a rough morning. You know, <laughs> several of us, including <laughs> myself, have those stories where you're like, hey, I'm so sorry I'm running late Everything's because, apart. you yeah. know, we put on jeans instead of, you know, athletic pants and by the time we pulled up to school, it was a crisis and we had to run home and change pants so that the child could go to school without screaming and crying, yeah, yep. you know? Mm -hmm. And so knowing that that's just life and it mm -hmm. happens and nobody here abuses that flexibility and nobody here abuses that that's part of our culture. And I know it's because we have the right people here, right? Yeah. Who understand that yeah. and want to live that out. And mm -hmm. so we always say, we may not be the most competitive and we're competitive with our pay. We're, you know, but we may not be the most competitive with our pay or the highest pay, mm. but we have a lot more to add mm. and a lot more value, not just the warm fuzzy of our mission, but like actual life practical things that I think are hard to compete with. Mm -hmm. it, it, and I like that last detail you added of, I think a lot of times people, I think sometimes business owners are living on another planet where they're like, I can't pay, I can't pay as high as maybe one of my competitors but, and then they, in their mind, it's culture, but it's really just like random perks. Yeah. Like, yeah. um, you know, we have a ping pong table yeah. and it's like, okay, you know, you have the one person on your team yeah. who actually plays ping pong. And when are they really going to get up from their desk and go do that? Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah, uh -huh. exactly. Right. And so like these really weird, strange, random perks yes. that, that. And then at the end of the day, though, you're still micromanaged. You still hate yep. your job. Yep. You're still, I mean, we, I, I think many of us, I mean, I know the feeling of, calling out on a sick day yep. and then, you know, your stomach's in knots because yes. your phone's being called off yes. the hook. 100%. People can't find something. You're being guilted. Yep. You know, are you sure you can't come in? Mm -hmm. uh, a friend of mine, she actually quit her job because she had a sick day. It was her first sick day in six years. Wow. And her boss asked her that morning, did you plan to be sick today? Oh my And gosh. just guilted her. And she was like, yeah. why am I doing this? Yeah. But point being you know, you're talking about something meaningful and tangible mm -hmm. and Harvard Business Review has talked about this extensively yes, of how people, people will, they will leave a job for less money yep. if it is that kind of environment yep. that gives them dignity, gives them, you know, personal freedom yep. and isn't like, um, you know, I guess perk driven. Jail. Yeah. Yeah. Or perk driven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That too. Your, yours was much better actually. Yeah. I should have gone with that. <laughs> well, and we so. even do that here, you know, Leah, um, and I know obviously, you know, Leah, but she's our COO and she's been here now, um, over nine years and I've been here almost 12. So Leah and I've been here together for a long time, holding down the fort, if you will. And we've grown and learned a lot together too, but every now and then I'll have that same guilt of like, okay, Colin, that's my oldest son, um, has some different developmental things and some stuff that, you know, takes a little bit more of my attention maybe. And so every now and then it's like, Colin's having a really rough day. I just need to be with him today, or I got to go pick him up early or whatever it might be. But you know, you feel guilty because I've got all these things to do. And tomorrow we've got that mm -hmm. big meeting and I'm not quite done with the agenda or whatever. And our team is very quick to be like, I'll do it. I got mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Like turn off your cell phone and take care of your child. And you know what we always say to each other? Because we all do that every now and then. Like, ah, I can't do this today. I've got so much. And we all do that of like, I'll come to your house and pick up your computer. I'll drop this thing off for you if you need to like go through this checklist. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because we embrace that part of our environment so fiercely that we protect it for mm -hmm. everyone. And I want to say that I think part of all of this boils down to a culture that has a lot to do with fear. So we're afraid to pivot. Mm. What's going to happen? We're afraid to allow our employees to have flexible work environments. We're yeah. afraid what if, to. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, or, you, or we have one bad example of that yeah. one employee yeah. who That's took advantage right. of you and That's now for, right. for forever. forever. Yeah. Or on the opposite side, you're afraid as an employee to take that time, mm. even if it's for the most important thing in your life, which is your family. You know, or yourself quite, I mean, too, you know, but anyway, um, and so I think people are afraid even, well, what are they going to think of me if I'm not there today? Are they going to think that I planned my sick day? And you know what? Maybe you did. It's called mental health. <laughs> yeah. But for real, <laughs> right. that's another thing that I hope people got out of COVID is how important and fra fragile 
mental health is for people. I think that's been a huge thing that people are waking up to, which praise the Lord. But my point is that I think sometimes it's just simply driven by fear. And I think if people can kind of jump off the cliff and just do it, and they have the right people, they have the right plans, processes, procedures, budgets, all those things in place, you can allow for taking the risk, if that's what it is for you, of allowing this type of work and environment to go on. Yeah, it almost feels like... Courage. It is. And it, it almost feels like, you know, as a as a business owner, a lot of times, like, we get so focused on, like, that feeling of stability. Yeah. And so then to be in that yeah. zone of, um, this is very chaotic, it's very different. Yeah. It's not, doesn't feel safe. Yeah, exactly. You know, am I even making the right decision? But mm-hmm. um, it does seem like it's better than the alternative mm-hmm. of, which is, you know, summed up basically as that's just how we've always done it. That's it. Right. And yeah. so, and that's how we've always done it is a little bit to me fear driven too, because that means we're afraid to find out what it would be like if we do it different. And I think that part of what, you know, if I can be a little bit um, ethereal, I would say that the culture in the world is very much based on fear. And I get it. I mean, it's freaking pandemic. Like, of course, there's a lot of fear and you feel that. And I think that that has almost for some of these businesses, like you said, that were afraid to pivot. Maybe they aren't necessarily afraid, but this the culture of the world is so based on fear, right? Mm-hmm. That it's like it almost influences you and can overshadow some of your decision making. So mm-hmm. I think holding true to the facts and what's real versus getting caught up in being so afraid of everything is mm-hmm. what leaders need to be doing and mm-hmm. have the courage like you said, to be agile, to change, to embrace, okay, this is really different. It feels really scary. It doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel comfortable, but it's the right thing to do for long-term success of the organization and the people that work here. And that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. So doing that is huge. Has like the trust factor always been something that you've just, has just been natural for you? Cause I, I think, I think that's a big part of it too, is like, I, you know, I envision, cause I think some business owners who heard what you just said, are like salivating at the mouth of like the employee mm-hmm. who's like, you know, driving yeah. to pick up the lap. Like, yes. wow, that sounds really great. Like, yes. where do I find those people? But on the same token, it's the same boss who um, is very parental. Mm-hmm. And I heard a guy the other day who was like, you know, my employees are like kids. You know, you, you listen to them, but you don't actually do what they want you to do. And I was oh like, my that's, gosh. I was like, that's pretty scary that that's your yeah. philosophy of leadership oh is that gosh. your employees yeah. are children. Right. Yeah. And so, you obviously have this very much um, abundant trust for your team. Is that something that's natural to you, like your personality or? There could be an element to that. So in shrink finders and every personality thing ever, I'm always off the charts positive. So I don't know if it's so much trust as optimism, glasses half full. And I choose that. Hmm. I choose to say, okay, I have empowered this person. I have trained them. They know what their budget is. They know what their performance metrics are. They know what their job is. They helped create the strategic plan. Like the list goes on. Hmm. They, there is no, they know what the expectations are in and out all day long, every day. And if they don't know, or if they have a question, we always say, ask away. Even if you feel like, I can't believe it's like embarrassing that I forgot this thing or, you know, I can't believe I'm even asking this or it might make me look bad if I'm asking this. We're like, just ask it. And if it does make you look bad, then we're going to be like, Ooh, yeah. Okay. That's kind of embarrassing. You should know (laughs) that. Don't ask that again. Yeah, exactly. We're going to tell you this time, but Yeah. yeah, don't ask it again. Learn it. Sure. Anyway. So I think that it's the confidence in knowing that people have all of those tools and the confidence in knowing if somebody messes up, there's things you can do Mm -hmm. or if they mess up to a degree where you've done all the things you can do to help coach or help, you know, redirect or whatever it may be that they need, depending on the circumstance, having the confidence that it's okay to part ways with people too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really hard in leadership. And that honestly, you know, you kind of talked about earlier things, um, some of the grueling parts and I talked, alluded to having the right people and not being afraid to part ways with people. And I really had to learn that. Um, And so I think the key there, again, I think a lot of it goes back to courage. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it goes back to putting the organization and the plan of the organization first and saying, you know what, sometimes it's not even about that person. It's about the organization. Mm -hmm. And this person may be a great, talented, wonderful person, 
but they don't fit with this organization and that is okay. Right. And I think that's a hard thing though, as a leader, Mm -hmm. because there's such a personal emotional element, Mm -hmm. which is also okay. Mm -hmm. But I think there's positive for me, there's trust, confidence, positivity, whatever you want to call it in the fact that it's okay to part ways with people. Mm -hmm. If it's the right thing for the organization, that, that sort of relentless optimism that you have or resilient optimism. (laughs) How do you, I guess, hold fast to that? Like when an employee burns you, Mm -hmm. like when it it wasn't a good fit or employee, um, you know, you mentioned how like your team would never abuse the Mm -hmm. sort of the common understanding you have. They don't current abuse. Not that they would never, they don't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you know, let's say you, you do have that one employee who Mm -hmm. just, I know, is it not in in a malicious way, but but just made a bad decision Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it, affected you personally negatively affected the business negatively mm-hmm. in in a meaningful way beyond just like an inconvenience yeah, yeah, yeah. um is is it hard to still maintain that optimism or like what's your typical response to that because a lot of times leaders like like i mentioned earlier like that is now that's the data point that frames like a whole new set of procedures yeah. whole new set of policies for better or worse um and i've even heard it described as like one manager who or one boss uh, who was very careful on customer data because mm-hmm. one of our employees had taken that customer data and basically had quit the business and taken a bunch of customers mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. And so now she kept a lot of that customer data wow. close to the chest because yeah. she was fearful of yeah. like, what if that happens again? again. But, yeah. but the irony now is now the business isn't running very effectively because her yeah. salespeople yep. like only have a certain amount Absolutely. of actual information. So. Sure. How do you respond when an employee um, makes those kinds of bad decisions that affect you in a negative way? So I think that what people have to build is there, there's, I'm thinking of like three or four things. So I'm going to try and succinctly answer this. Yeah. I'm really bad at asking like really long winded okay. questions. Well, and I'm really bad at being <laughs> yeah. long winded. So <laughs> like here's the four minute question. So yeah. yeah. Um, so I think having, first of all, we're all human and I think it's okay to feel all of that. And I'm not saying that I don't or that I, you know, because I'm so positive, I just never feel negative about it because I do. And sometimes it can take a pretty big toll on me, just like everyone else. That's why I kind of talked about being okay with like, you know what, maybe today I just need a day because of mental health or whatever I'm dealing with. But I think having people around you, and you're one of those people for me, as you know, that you can, and and we have another mutual friend that's Mm. in leadership, and she and I really see eye to eye on a lot, and it's somebody I can reach out to. And it's the people you can kind of vent to, too, Mm. and be like really honest, here's how I really feel. And you can kind of share the personal side of it that, you know, from an HR standpoint, you have to leave at the door, right? But from your mentor, friend, Mm-hmm. group. So I think building that group of people, because it can be really lonely to be in a leadership position. I don't have a peer at my organization that I can go to and go, Hey, I just need to vent for a minute. Can you just listen? Cause I need somebody else who understands the exact, they, they work right. with this person Context. too. Yeah. Right. And so I think building the group of people that you have, that it's safe to do that with is huge key because sometimes you just need to kind of vent and let to let that part go the personal this impacted me personally or emotionally it just ticked me off i have poured my heart and soul to help mentor or grow this person and they went and did this if it's mm-hmm. that type scenario mm-hmm. um then it's it's okay like get it out in fact get it out in a safe place first mm-hmm. right before you go and say it to the person um, and then I think a second part that came to mind when you were asking that, this is the part where I would say it's like your kids, but it's choosing your battles. Mm. So what really is worth it? You know, like if I ever hear that after a meeting, an employee, you know, maybe they didn't make like a detrimental comment to my character or the decision that I made, but I they made it known that they didn't like it or they didn't agree with it. If it's like, you know, they didn't like that you know, I'm going to shut the office down for an extra day, Thanksgiving week to give everyone an extra day, but maybe they can't take that off because they have a meeting. Okay. Be mad at me. You know, like, (laughs) I'm sorry. Sure. The deal was if you don't have anything or if you can move things on your calendar and have that extra day, Mm -hmm. please do. But if you can, I'm sorry, take it some other time. Mm -hmm. So things like that, where maybe you have to have a thicker skin and go, okay, yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think choosing your battles is huge and deciding what's important enough to either let yourself get personally invested with. And I think some of that's just like experience and time, and maturity, I'm going to say it, but I know it's not about age. 
Because I know people, you know, years older than me that would be very offended by a comment like that. Sure. Well, who said that? And why'd they say and go in there and get all hot and bothered about it when sure. it's like, okay, well, of course that rubbed them the wrong way, but like, okay, sure. you know, which that didn't really happen. I totally made yeah, that sure. up. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did close down the office for Thanksgiving to give people a break though. I, mm-hmm. I did do that. Um, and then um, another thing that kind of, you know, comes to mind is having a culture and this is something that we really worked with you on too because i felt like you know we did five dysfunctions of a team so we learned about trust we learned about vulnerability we learned about Mm -hmm. so many things we you know learned about customer service we learned about attention to detail you know over the years we've done all of these different exercises with our team that have been really good but the biggest component that was still missing and when i talked to other people in my position with other nonprofits and ronald mcdonald house chapters it's the the Candidness is mm. still one of the biggest barriers to reaching that ultimate yeah, success. I agree. To the point where I have had an employee with kind of a business association that we kind of have a partnership with, somebody really rubbed her the wrong way. And she wasn't wrong. They, they really were disrespectful to her. So she was so proud of herself. She comes into my office and she's like, so I practiced candor because, you know, that's what we do here. And I was so proud of her. And she was not a very... Well, she was a candid person before, but not a controlled candid person. And she'd tell you this. <laughs> um, and so she learned how to do it the right way. Yeah. Right. Poison. She was kind of the blow yeah. off the handle, you know, fly off the handle type. Yeah. Um, and so she learned how to do it in a professional way that's mm. constructive versus just, I cannot believe you just did that. And I'm so ticked off right now. Wait. Mm. Okay. So she was so proud of herself that she practiced candid with candor with this other person, because that's a huge thing for our organization. Well, she learned quickly that this other person had not ever had any kind of candor training (laughs) and it just blew her mind because it's such a part of what we do Mm -hmm. that it's hard for us to understand that other people don't do that. So I think that's a component too, though, is Mm -hmm. being able to be candid, but also understand. um, And, you know, we've talked about this before too, is being able to say, Hey, can I be candid with you? Mm Mm-hmm which is being candid and can be also hard because the person might say, no, you cannot be candid with me. Yeah. I can't even right now. (laughs) We have the culture that says right now I can't do that, Mm -hmm. but I can, let's try to talk tomorrow. Let me take some breaths and let's talk tomorrow. Sure. But with outside people have never been through that. They're they're They feel like you're being aggressive and coming at them, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, and they may, their only experience may be like a drama filled gossiping kind of work environment where, you don't yeah. have this kind of conversation. So we've really had to kind of learn that as an organization, like I said, to the point where I had this employee that was like, well, I'm going to always be candid. Why would I not? This is so great. And, you know, <laughs> just recently we were opening the house um, and Leah that I alluded to earlier, she won't mind if I tell this story, but she had a couple of her direct reports and myself and we were all looking at this thing. It was really stressful. We were trying to open the new house and we were needing to make a decision about something being installed permanently to the walls, which, you know, that's a big decision when you just paid three and a half million dollars for a house. And so they're asking my opinion and Lee and I did not agree. And to the point where I had to look at her and I was, my face was getting red and hot and I had to look at her and I said, I don't agree, but I also am not the person who needs to make this final decision. So I'm going to walk away and I'm going to let you guys make that decision. So one of her direct reports immediately said, okay, I got it. I'll make the decision. Good. And I walked away and went and cooled off. It was, there was just a lot of stress. It was one of those where it wasn't a big deal, but in yeah, the yeah. moment I was just like, ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and everything was fine. And later on I went to Leah and I said, Hey, I was really proud of this. Mm-hmm. I'll say her name. She doesn't care. I was so proud of Jessica mm-hmm. because you and I were kind of having mm-hmm. a little bit of a tense moment and we have taught such a good culture here that she recognized that and knew that it was appropriate for her to go, Hey, cool. I got it. I'll make the decision. We're good. And everybody, everything was good. And, and we also have the culture to where nobody was standing there like, oh my gosh, yeah. they're like, <laughs> our bosses are in a fight. Yeah. But instead it was like, okay, it's a little tense. We all get it. We all feel in the tension. Mm-hmm. So somebody else can rise up into that leadership position and do that. And I was okay letting them do that too. And so was she. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, you know, that's a grueling thing to get to because you have to have trust of like, you know, cause I could have snapped at her and been like, well, who are you talking to me like that? But instead I was like, okay, thank you. Please, please make that decision. (laughs) So I I think that there's just so many pieces of that that get to where you can have the trust and the confidence and the positive attitude about things, but it never, nothing good ever comes. What are they? What's the phrase? Like, you know, it has to hurt to get to, you know, 
childbirth hurts, but by golly, what you get at the end. So my wife tells me. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, You know, spending a big down payment on a new mortgage hurts. Yes, the pain in the process. But how cool because you are now a homeowner and you put 20% down on your house, you know, whatever it might Mm be. But none of it is necessarily easy or doesn't hurt. And I think it's another thing I was talking about earlier, kind of um, working those muscles that aren't really muscles. But I think it's, you know, Almost as a leader going, God, I really don't want to do this. This really sucks, but I need to do it. I am going to own the position that I'm in. And then you do it and it had this great outcome, even though it hurt. And you're like, okay, it's kind of like I can have another baby now. (laughs) Okay. All right. I did that. It sucked. I did it. I can do it again. So, um, I think that it's, it's really about having the courage to kind of jump off the cliff Mm -hmm. and know you'll be okay because you already did all the work to be okay. Mm-hmm. I love that you mentioned candidates too, because it, it does feel like the more I'm talking with teams and working with businesses, like candidates keeps cropping up as yeah. like the end all be all, like mm-hmm. this is the most important thing. Uh, and it almost seems to tie everything else together. Like you want an engaged team, you want a team that yes. holds themselves accountable, like rather than it being this very much like top down, just be a better boss like developing this culture of we're honest, we're transparent and we tell each other what's happening. Mm -hmm. It seems like that's really moving the needle more than anything else. So, um, 70, we are out of time. This has been a great conversation. Uh, what is next in 2020? I guess this episode is going to be live, uh, probably early 2022. We're, We're recording right now. It's December of 2021. And um, as you all are listening to this, COVID is totally gone and life is great again. <laughs> so we hope. But yeah, um, uh, yeah. So this is going to be live early 2022. So what what can people expect to be happening with Ronald McDonald House Charities um, here in Northwest Arkansas over this next year? So like I mentioned, our next three-year strategic plan, which is adopted by our board, goes into effect January 1. That is a living, breathing document. But the kind of theme with that is sustainability and um, really taking a deep dive into what can we do next in in terms of increasing revenue and really being, I mean, we're pretty darn efficient, but there's always things we can do better. Mm -hmm. And so it's really taking a good deep dive into like internal infrastructure, um, you know, our revenue plans and streams. We're launching a few new um, revenue um, goals and projects. And so really we're hoping to just kind of be under the radar. We can now serve 25 families a night plus the patients on our Ronald McDonald care mobile. So taking care of those families to the absolute best that we can Mm -hmm. raising more money, taking care of our donors and just really taking care of each other in the organization, because that is how we're going to be successful long-term. Well, I'm a huge fan. And uh, for people who are listening who maybe they want to donate either their time or their money, what's the best location for them to do that? How do they do that? So they can call our office in Springdale, which is the main office. So they can kind of get them to any location, 479-756-5600. We're doing a little PSA now. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the free advertising. Sure. Or they can go to our website at rmhcofarcoma.org. Great. And I will put those uh, the number and the link down in the episode description. Um, Stephanie, it's been so great having you on the show today. I I, appreciate it. I'm so glad you came on for a second time. Yeah. Yeah, Well, we will do a third one at some point. Okay. Thank you. Hey, for our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button, click the follow button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you are. Don't also forget that if you want to support the podcast, you can be one of our amazing Patreons. Go to patreon.com slash good advice. Again, that's patreon.com slash good advice for as little as the cost of a cup of coffee. You can support this amazing, great podcast. And for those of you who are supporting the podcast, we appreciate it. We thank you. And that is today's good advice. We'll catch you later. See ya.